It is great to be here tonight. Amen? Amen. Everybody survived the storms coming in. Everybody take a boat to get to church tonight. Uh, I think some of us had to. Uh, it's been a great meeting so far, man. Last night was awesome, uh, and this morning was awesome. Uh, I needed both of those messages this morning and that last night. Uh, John, I wanted to say thanks uh, for the incredible opportunity to come and be able to speak uh, and to share. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, I've loved seeing what uh, God has been doing through you and your ministry here since you've been here the last year, year and a half, uh, and all the times you're on campus and just catching up and talking. Uh, Hallmark, thank you for hosting. Uh, you've done a great job. Let's give Hallmark a hand. All your volunteers that are out even in the rain tonight, welcoming people and making sure everybody's getting in safe and to the band, thanks again for an incredible night of worship. Let's give them a hand. I am privileged that I get to hear this band or one of the bands uh, twice a week, almost every single week, uh, playing in chapel uh, at BBC. So uh, I get spoiled with this all the time. And uh, what God is doing through the, the students at BBC is awesome. But I did get a troubling text message this afternoon from BBC. Uh, three, I, I teach a theology class. And three students did not take their theology exam today uh, because they are here on the stage. So Allie and Robert and Blaze have, have failed the theology exam today. So well, I've got, I want to put it on you guys to see what's going to happen, okay? Two options, two options, two options. I brought, I brought copies of the exam with me, so we can either have, uh, we can have them take the exam tonight, maybe after the service. No, grandmas, you can't say that. Grandma says, just give them an A. No, 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 that doesn't work. Or I can let them take it next week when they get back to school. What do you think? <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Uh, we can we can let them take it uh, next week, uh, unless Grandma wants to take the test for Blaze. <laughs> Gram <laughs> yeah, Blaze, what do you think? Blaze, should I let your grandma take the test for you? I would. Oh, she's busy this week, so. Hey, you know what? I, again, I'm honored to be here tonight. You know, I've been a part of the BBFI for a long time. Not as long as uh, many of you, but the BBFI is all that I know. Uh, I got saved in a BBFI church in Springdale, Arkansas. Don Elmore is still my spiritual dad. He's retired now, but there's no one in the world I look up to more than him. Uh, I wouldn't be standing in front of you today if it wasn't for him. I went to a BBFI college. I, I went to Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, and some of my closest friends still to this day are guys that I met uh, while I was there that I was uh, on the same floor with. It's very cool tonight, actually, that uh, Brian and I are speaking at the same night. We graduated together. Uh, I thought about, you know, I was his RA for a few years, so I got some stories I could tell you on Brian. What do you think? The problem, the problem with that is he speaks after me, so he's got some stories on me. So we'll just kind of leave those skeletons in the closet for tonight. I also got to meet my precious wife while I was at college, uh, and uh, very privileged to that. I began my full-time ministry to BBFI Church in Florida. I was privileged to help start a BBFI Church in Michigan. Uh, before I went to Missouri, I was privileged to pastor at a, one of the, the most respected, well-respected established churches 
uh, in Houston, Texas. Uh, BBFI Church is a, started by John Gross. All I know is BBFI. All I know is BBFI. Now I have the distinct privilege of being the Dean of Ministry Studies at BBC where I get to invest in students like the ones you've been hearing this week. Can I just say this? We got some great students at BBC. We really, really do. I almost wish I was pastoring again now just because I know all the cream of the crop at BBC so I, can, I could hire them away uh, and know who, who, who I want to partner with me in, in leading churches. But, and, and now I serve as the communication director for the BBFI. Uh, my family, my kids, that's all they know. Uh, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. You know, for 67 years, the purpose of the Baptist Bible Tribune, in which I get to lead, has been to tell the good news of what God is doing through the churches and ministries of the BBFI. For the past couple of years, I've had a front row seat to see all that God is doing. And can I tell you, it's been pretty cool. I've been able to celebrate uh, with new churches getting started at grand openings. I've been able to celebrate with pastors retiring, even coming here about a, a year and a half ago when Pastor Haley retired. I've been able to celebrate new buildings being dedicated. I've been able to celebrate record attendances, uh, record baptisms, record amounts given. I've been in several missions conferences and uh, state fellowship meetings and strategic planning seminars that I've been doing in churches around the country. I've been to Boston, to LA, to Florida, to Michigan, and a lot of places in between. And I, can I just say this? God's doing some awesome stuff through the churches of the BBFI. He really is. I don't know that anybody has that perspective that I've been able to have these last couple of years. I mean, God's doing some awesome work through pastors, through our churches, through our missionaries, and I've had the front row seat of all of it. It's amazing to see how everything works together. You know, 67 years ago, just right up the street a little ways, uh, there were a handful of guys that got together and decided they wanted to be a part of something bigger than just themselves. And they started this thing we know now as the BBFI. I don't know if they envisioned it would look exactly like it looks today, but they had a big vision, they had a big dream of what it would look like. They kept it pretty simple. They kept it very simple, actually. Now, I've been able to go back and read the actual original minutes from that meeting in 1950. Uh, I've been able to read the tribunes from that first few years uh, and to see what it looked like as the BBFI was being birthed. I love that one of the primary traits of the BBFI from the very beginning was the autonomy of the local church. Uh, you can go all the first decade of the, of the BBFI, and in 1959, 1960 was a crucial time for the BBFI. Some of you guys were around back then. I, I should have brought a copy or put it up on the screen. It was the, it was the cover page, the front page of the Tribune in 1960 after the, after the fall fellowship meeting. And the title boldly says, The Local Church Wins Out, because there was some debate over whether or not the BBFI would have some regulations that they would put on the local churches to be a part of the BBFI. And it was all rejected because local autonomy won out. And I'm thankful, I'm thankful that, you know, as I go and I travel from church to church, I see all kinds of churches. I see all kinds of churches. And every church is autonomous and unique. And I think that's one of our greatest strengths. They established a communication vehicle 67 years ago, and I got to throw this in. 
because the Tribune was the very first entity of the BBFI. Before there was a college, before there was a mission office, there was the Baptist Bible Tribune one month after the BBFI officially launched. They established a training institution for future pastors and missionaries. They established a clearinghouse to process funds for our missionaries. And a few years later, they established a mechanism to help get churches started all across the country. This is a great example of synergy, of synergy, which synergy was the theme for our annual offering or our tribune this year to show how all things, how all of us, how all of this works together, how all of this works uh, together, how, how when we all work together, we can accomplish more than if we all work individually. A great portion of scripture is Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 12. You know, the, you know the scripture very well. It says this, it says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. And again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You know, here's a reality. We need each other. We need each other. As a fellowship of pastors and missionaries and church staff, we need each other. We don't always want to be with each other, but we need each other. Let me share three or four reasons why I believe we need each other quickly this morning. First, I need others to work with me. I need others to work with me. It says here in, in verse 9, two are better than one. It's, it's simple math. Two are better than one. I am a better person when someone is helping me. I am better when I've got other people that are coming alongside me and working beside me. It says because they have a good reward for their labor. We accomplish more when we're working together. You know, one of the great illustrations or simplest illustrations of synergy is, is, is two horses. I'm in Texas, so I've got to talk about horses, right? You know, they, the state, it said that two horses pulling, working together can pull more weight than those two horses can pull if they were pulling individually and you add them up. It's a simple concept. We don't understand it all the time, but it's a simple concept. You know, the very first ministry that I worked with outside of my local church was a ministry called Time International. Uh, it's now led by Dave and Janet O'Rear uh, out of Miami, Florida, and it's a great ministry. I, I, was, I was three weeks graduated from BBC, and I was going on my first month-long mission trip with Time International. And it, it's a ministry where you get teenagers from all kinds of churches all across the country. We meet together in Miami for a few days and train and learn some wordless dramas, and then we send them out into five or six different countries around the world on mission trips, and it's amazing to see the impact when we work together. When I was pastoring in Houston, I was, we were privileged to have New Hope Initiative based out of our church there, and to see what can happen when churches work together and make a difference in people's lives all around the world. The same is true when we work together to get new churches started. The same is true when we work together to get missionaries on the mission field faster. The same is true when we work together to train future pastors and missionaries. There's too much work to be done for us to try to do it by ourselves. And, and can I say this, and this is my one statement that will probably get me in trouble tonight, so 
I'll, I'll go ahead and get it out of the way early. I think there are far too many pastors that are more worried about building their own kingdom than building God's kingdom. I've, I've seen it, you've seen it, and it's not just seeing it in those guys out there somewhere else. I've seen it in here with us. And we've got to be careful. I need others to work with me because my kingdom isn't what matters. We're, we're working together to build God's kingdom. Not only do I need others to work with me, I need others to walk with me. I need others to walk with me. It says in verse 10 and 11, For if they fall, one will lift him up, his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. For he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? You've heard these statistics that I want to read. You know these statistics. If, you, if you've not heard these, uh, you're probably guilty of these. And you need to find Don and Cheryl Rooks or uh, the Mingos. 55% of all pastors feel lonely. That would mean half the crowd, if you're honest, feel lonely. 54% of pastors work more than 55 hours per week. 57% of pastors live paycheck to paycheck or live where they're not even paying their bills. 35% of pastors battle depression. 26% of pastors are overly fatigued. 23% of pastors feel distant from their families. We need each other. We need each other. Turn to the person sitting next to you and say this, you need me. Now say this, now say this, now say this. I need you too. I need you too. For all the single people, I just get you dates for the night, so. We need each other. We need each other. We need to walk with one another. You know, one of my favorite parts of coming to fellowship meetings is, what do you think? The fellowship. The fellowship. Just hanging out. I, I think I gain five to ten pounds every fellowship meeting because I eat more than I should, but, you know, that's what we have to do when we get together, right? We can't just go sit and talk. We've got to go sit around a table with food in front of us and talk. We need each other. You know, the BBFI slogan is this, and I love it, where no one stands alone. Where no one stands alone. I got a challenge for us tonight. Let's, let's tweak that slogan a little bit. Let's make tonight where the BBFI, where no one goes out to eat alone. So find someone tonight. I'm serious. Find someone tonight, maybe someone you don't know, and say, let's go have dinner tonight. You look across the room, there's people that you may not know that you, could have a, you may have a lot in common with. Go find someone and say, let's go have dinner tonight. Here's another challenge. Let's make this our challenge. Here in a few minutes when I'm done and we start singing again, let, here's another slogan for us to use tonight. The BBFI where no one sits alone. Let's, let's, let's get out of our seats, move around a little bit. And go find someone so no one sits alone. All right? We need each other. We need each other. Here's a third thought. Here's a third thought. I want to hurry. I need others to watch out for me. I need others to watch out for me. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says this, Though one may be overpowered, 
by another two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You know what I need? I need others. I need you to protect me. I need you to protect me. I need you to watch my six. I need you to stay close to me and watch me. And You know, this is talking about a lot more than just a, a, a physical enemy. We could spend some time talking about that. There's guys in here that I want close to me if I'm getting into a physical altercation. I'm looking at Lonnie, that he's going to be close to me if i got a physical altercation anywhere. But this is talking about a lot more than just a physical altercation. I need, I need others to hold me accountable. I need you to hold me accountable. I need people in my life that's going to ask me the tough questions. And here's the reality. All the years that I was a pastor in a church, very seldomly did I have my church members come up to me and ask me those tough questions. You know, part of a meeting like this, part of that time when you're sitting around a table, you know, chowing is you need to ask those tough questions to one another. You need people that you can give permission to call you at any moment and say, what are you doing right now? What are you watching? What are you reading? I need people to hold me. I need people to protect me relationally. I need friends. I need you to ask me, how are you treating your wife? How are you treating your wife? I need you to ask me, do your, do your kids feel valued? I need you to protect me. I need you to watch out for me. I need you to, to, to protect me spiritually. I need you to ask me, am I spending personal quiet time with God, or am I just reading my Bible to study for sermons? I need you to ask me that question. I need you to ask me what safeguards I've put up to protect what my eyes see. I need you to do that. I need you to protect me. I need you to watch out for me. And I, I, I need to ask for forgiveness because this so far has been a, an, a, an expository sermon. My fourth point, I'm, it's no longer expository, so I... I'm going, to go to another, I'm going to go to another verse. There's, uh, here's a fourth thing. And call this a bonus, okay? The sermon's done. Here's a bonus, fourth one, okay? So, so that was my expository sermon for everybody that's here this morning. Here's a fourth bonus principle that I need, okay? I, that I need. I need you to witness with me. I need you to witness with me. And here's the verse, you know, what Mark 16, 15. It says, And he said to them, Go and do all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know, I take that verse very literally. That that's a command that's given to me. That Jesus has told me that it's my responsibility to preach the gospel to 7 billion people. That's my responsibility. He's told me to, he didn't say go into all the world, he didn't say go to the world and preach the gospel to all the people that live in your town or that live in your neighborhood. He said, go preach the gospel to every creature. I can't do that myself. And it's not just my responsibility, it's also your responsibility. That's your responsibility. Did you wake up this morning with a burden that it, God's told you to reach and, and to preach the gospel to 7 billion people? That's the burden that we should all wake up with each morning. But you can't do it alone either. Our reality is, is all of us in this room right now, we couldn't personally preach the gospel to every creature in the world. But what we can do, what we can do 
is we can preach in our churches the importance of teenagers and young adults surrendering to full-time ministry. We can preach that. And we can have teenagers and young adults out of our churches by the droves surrendering to full-time ministry. C.K. Chesterton said this. He said, I don't think everyone is called to ministry or missions, but I think everyone should wrestle with it. Have you placed that burden on your church? Have you preached that to a point where everyone feels at least burdened about it or considering it? We can support uh, or, or we can send students to our Bible colleges that are training students. We can, we can support our Bible colleges so they can better train our students. You know what else we can do? We can preach in our churches the importance of sacrificially giving to missions. We can. We can even take a little hit on ourselves and we can give beyond the faith promise and maybe something that we're not going to do in our church that might be great for our church, we're going to give that to missions instead to get more people around the world to hear the gospel. We can support the mission office so they can better support our missionaries. And we can preach in our churches the importance of our churches starting new churches. It should be a goal for every church to reproduce themselves within a few years. If you're pastoring a church and that's not a goal of yours, I want to get in trouble again. If you're pastoring a church and that's not a goal of yours to reproduce yourself in another church somewhere else, you might be building your own kingdom. If you don't have a burden to start new churches, because statistically, statistically, new churches with more people of Christ than established churches, bar none. We can do this. We can do this. But it takes hard work, and it takes a lot of money. But a statement that I say over and over and over and over and over again, the statement I heard about 18 years ago, shortly after I graduated Bible college, is this. We're not going to win our world to Christ on spare time and pocket change. But so many of us, even us in this room, we give God our spare time, and we give God our pocket change. But we're not going to win our world to Christ. Seven, some say 7.5 billion people in this world today. And you and I are challenged to preach the gospel to every creature. You know, when I got up here, I pulled out my phone. I don't normally bring my phone to the pulpit with me, but I pulled my phone because I'm on a website right now. It's a funny website. The website's called foodwaddle.com. It's a, uh, it's, a, it's a clock is what it is. But I started this clock, and what this, what I've, the setting I've got it on right now is it's telling me how many people have died since I started preaching based on the average number of people that die per day, it breaks it down to seconds and minutes. And right now, we just rolled over 3,700 people have died since I've been standing here. And based on the statistics from Operation World and a lot of other resources, about two-thirds of the world's population aren't Christians. So I'm not great at math, but about two-thirds of 3,700 uh, is 2,800 people since I've been standing up here have entered into an eternity in a place called hell. 
That's what needs to soak in. You know, we talk about the good news. But the good news is only good if it gets there in time. And you and I can work together to make sure that we do all that we can do that it gets there in time. Can I pray for us? Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would break our hearts again for souls. I don't want 2,800, probably closer to 3,000 now to just be a statistic. But I want that to soak in of why we're doing what we're doing and the importance of synergy, of us working together to accomplish more than we could ever accomplish by ourselves. God, break our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.